0: Well, here's a listener question. Dan, I'm 27 years old. I've been working for 10 years. I graduated college with two undergraduate degrees, neither of which I'm using, nor do I seem to be using any of the skills I acquired in college. I have no idea what I'm called to do in life. (laughs) Hey, welcome into the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, and you can do that in 48 Days. That's why we use 48 Days. That's enough time to assess where you are Get the advice and opinion of other people. Choose the best one and act. It's a process. You can go through it. it doesn't need to be dr- prolonged with procrastination. Don't do that. Well, our business partners today are FreshBooks and Health IQ. I'm excited about both of these. You can claim your month-long unrestricted free trial with no credit card required to FreshBooks. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days. Enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. And health iq you've been hearing me talk about them they're an insurance company that help health conscious people like runners cyclists marathoners weightlifters vegetarians vegans get lower rates in their life insurance you can go to healthiqcom 48 days to see if you qualify now here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today dan what would you do in my shoes Next, what can a nurse transition into that is not as physically intense? How can I find customers for my used furniture pieces? I want to coach. I love this question. I I want to coach, but I feel like I'm the person I would like to help. Golly, We'll take a look at that. Can you help others when you need some of your own advice? Well, we'll kind of unpack that, have fun with that. And then I got the question, if we get to it, that I read at the opening, 27-year-old, been working for 10 years, lots and lots of questions, self-analysis in that piece. We'll get to that as much as we can. Got some good news we want to share as well. Here's our quotation for today. Comes from Shannon Alder, who said, Your ability to see will never broaden when you only see yourself. Now, that has some application to some of the questions today your ability to see will never broaden when you only see yourself and we got an action step for you i got a call to action as i've been doing every week people respond to that ask me more about it our call to action is this if you're feeling down No, no, we we spent a couple weeks ago looking at questions just from those who were really feeling discouraged, getting a lot of those this time of year. I think we're far enough into the year to kind of realize, wow, the first quarter's already gone. I'm not accomplishing what I had hoped to this year. I'm on track to repeat what I did last year or worse. Well, that could be discouraging, but it's never too late to draw that line in the sand, change things. But if you're feeling down, here's my call to action. Find someone in need and then do something to help that person. That's the prescription. If you're feeling down, got a little bit more on that as we unpack this. Well, I want to tell you a little bit more about health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company. They are helping people that are taking care of themselves. People like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. They know that people can save up to like 33% on their life insurance. And they're there to help you figure out how to do that. They know that people who are physically active have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Boy, I take these things seriously at my season of life, man, I want to stay active. We've had a whole bunch of grandkids around in the last several weeks here. Uh, enjoying and i want to be able to get out there with them get out there with them and run and play games go down to zipline all the fun things that we've been doing ride bikes or well, ride more bikes when my kids are around and grandkids this is where you go if you're one of those who are taking care of yourself go to healthiq.com slash 48 days to see if you qualify now you know they can help you they know all these things about if you're a weightlifter, if you're a runner. And uh, Dr. David Powers, let me know that he called him and he was about three minutes into telling them the things that he did. And they said, whoa, you're good. You're good. Let's unpack this. We're able to save him a ton of money as they're doing for others as well. So again, just go to Health IQ, just like it sounds, healthiq.com slash 48 days. And then mention the promo code 48 days. When you talk to an agent, somebody will call you talk you through. They're great people. Talk you through how to get you on board. Fresh books. Well, if you are a freelancer, a small business owner, I know there's a whole lot of you who are. If we just passed tax season, it's a good chance that a lot of you are trying to dig your way out of mistakes that were made. Don't repeat that again. Don't be in that position when April, 2019 rolls around. You got to be on top of your taxes your obligations know exactly where you stand. I've already done the first quarter deposit for this year, keeping me right on track. I hope you do the same. I've done my share of mistakes with keeping track of taxes. Callie, the the taxes, I take care of the uh, sales tax. Now, ours is pretty simple. It takes about three minutes to take care of it online because all of our Accounting is online. All of our transactions are online, accounted through there, so it's easy to track exactly what we collected and sales tax and report that. But you need a system to help you do that. Go to FreshBooks. They're offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial to any 48 Days listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now, here's some good news things. You know, I love to share these good news items there's plenty of them out there. I talk to people every day who are experiencing good news and recognizing the power of focusing on good news instead of filling their brain with all the negative things that are going on. Well, here's one comes from San Francisco. Homeless are getting six-figure jobs in poor neighborhood that's overrun by tech companies. Now San Francisco is the land of trolleys, tech companies, Coffee shops and increasingly the land of social mobility for the homeless, because the city has been at the heart of the tech boom. Many of San Francisco's at-risk citizens have been burdened by the corresponding skyrocketing housing cost. That's why a formerly homeless poet and writer, Dell Seymour, founded Code Tenderloin, a nonprofit that seeks to rehabilitate, train, and find employment for the disenfranchised residents of Tenderloin, the Bay City's poorest and most ethnic ethnically diverse neighborhood so far 300 students have graduated from the program and a third of them have already found employment in the tech sector some of the grads have been hired into six figure jobs now what they do you know they accept everybody into the program um, unless they're an active addict and even then they don't give them a cold shoulder instead code tenderloin will help the applicant find the help they need to get back on their feet. Once applicants are within the program, the varied skills they learn can help them in any field with networking, resume building, elevator pitches, and more. Since 2015, they've placed 100 of their applicants into job positions. 35% of them have stayed with their first employer for over 12 months. Great program, golly, helping people, getting on their feet. You know, a lot of people who are homeless are, are very brilliant and talented. I mean, we see movies made about that where somebody is extremely brilliant musically or scientifically or mathematically or something. You know, it's just, how can we shape that into things that are socially acceptable and get them back on track with a life that matters? Well, I love to see programs like that. Now here's one. This is kind of cute. A clever dog always brings a leaf to buy himself treats at the store. Now, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. While some pups might resort to begging for treats, this proud dog insists on paying for his own meals. Although it does help that his form of currency literally grows on trees. Uh, We'll call him Jim the dog is the furry campus resident of the diversified Technical Education Institute of Monterey. For the last five years, he's been a watchful companion to all the students throughout their studies. In exchange for his presence, the faculty provides him with food, love and a safe place to sleep. Now, during Jim's time on campus, however, he noticed that some of the students were giving those green pieces of paper to the campus shopkeeper in exchange for cookies intrigued by the economic exchange that he was watching the clever dog decided to try something similar so he'd go to the store and watch the children give money and receive something in exchange teacher alexander garcia told the newspaper then one day spontaneously he appeared with a leaf in his mouth wagging his tail and letting it be known that he wanted a cookie the shopkeeper then took the leaf gave him a cookie in return as a reward for his impressive ingenuity since discovering the magic of commerce jim the dog has returned to the shop every day to buy a dog safe treat although the shopkeepers are careful not to feed him too much when you first see it, you almost want to cry, says a store attendant. He's found a way to make himself understood. He's very intelligent. So the dog figured out the economic exchange of given dollars, those green pieces of paper. So he found something green and smooth as well. Buys his own treats. That's pretty cool. Well, here, instead of keeping a hundred dollar bill, a little boy searches for the rightful owner who happened to be a senior living on a fixed income. Jared Johnson may be only eight years old, but he is well on his way to being an upstanding citizen after his compassionate display of integrity last week. Uh, The youngster was out running errands with his mom when he found a $100 bill in the parking lot of a Walmart in Pineville, Louisiana. He was a few steps behind me and said, Mom, look what I have in my pocket. He said, can we turn it into Walmart to give it to the rightful owner? Now, his mom was aware of how an employee could Simply pocket the money for themselves so she told Jaren that they would go home and work out how to return the money the following day. so the next day the mom called Walmart to ask if anyone had reported the missing money. She called the store, left her phone number with the clerk she did not however mention exactly what the missing property was or how much money later that same day she received a call from the daughter of james grice an 86 year old man who had lost the hundred dollar bill while he was shopping because the senior lives on a fixed income he'd been unable to buy his groceries without the money so when he discovered that someone had kept his hundred dollars safe he was overwhelmed with joy grice and james met each other a few days later so the youngster could give him a money as a means of expressing his gratitude grice gave the little boy twenty dollars and a permanent invitation to eat the fresh tomatoes in his vegetable garden which also happened to be one of jaron's favorite snacks jaron's got a big heart mrs johnson said he has a passion for others he also shows his integrity and heart for others. Well, great story. I hope you have an opportunity to do something that's generous and kind like that. Finding somebody. I shared a story a couple weeks ago. I left my wallet lay on top of the postage machine in the post office where there are hundreds of people milling around. I went back about an hour later. No problem. Walked right up. Gal says, hey, Dan, somebody turned in your wallet, just as I had expected in the wonderful town that we live in. Well, here's, here's here's an audio from a, a listener just a fun tip you'll appreciate this now comment on it hey dan a couple of ideas for you on the podcast you might want to add to your email tagline listen to the 48 day podcast on google home by saying google play 48 day podcast or the same thing on alexa by saying alexa ask any pod to play 48 day podcast. Well, Hey Dean, thanks for those suggestions. You're exactly right. Uh, I just asked Siri a little bit ago, just on my phone, Siri, uh, play the 48 days podcast. Boom. Instantly brought it up. That's amazing. The power of technology for someone. And if you've got a podcast, obviously that, option is available to you as well. It allows people anywhere in the world, if they know about you, to pull it up very conveniently. Another thing that I'm going to be adding briefly here is flash briefings. Uh, those are just the real short little one minute things. We're going to just start putting those in, just positive ways to start your day. So you can pull that up along with other briefings that you may be listening to. You know, there's a lot of power in the words that you speak. Wow. I mean, at Podcast Movement in July in Philadelphia, I'm going to be doing along with my son, Kevin, who hosts the Ziegler podcast. We're going to be doing a presentation on the lasting impact of your audio message. I'm going to be doing that as well. I'm going to be talking about that this coming Wednesday, May 9th at the Podcasters Meetup here in Nashville. Pretty robust group uh, led by Clark Buckner and Angus Nelson and David Hooper and others, but a, a cool group of people. But I'm going to be talking about the lasting impact. I mean, I was impacted dramatically by the little audio recording, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale when I was just a farm kid. And it gave me the optimism, the hope that I could do something besides just live the simple farm life that I had been exposed to at that point. But that message was, we become what we think about. And it became a very foundational principle for my life that continues even today. Been a lot of others. Think about the, the power of words along the way that have impacted you. You know, ask not what you can do for your country. Well, that was, golly, that was back in 1961 before a lot of you were even born. And yet you know that, recognize that as a John F. Kennedy um, iconic kind of message. Then uh, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I have a dream. I mean, we know that that was from 1963. Uh, things where Napoleon Hill talked about the power of a mastermind impacted me. But the power of audio message, the things you say, the things that come out of your mouth—I mean, the Bible talks about that. The things that come out of your mouth—they're powerful. And today they're lasting. My gosh, a hundred years ago, you could say something and the next day everybody would forget it and there was no way to retrieve it. Today, what you say is likely to be recorded for all eternity, it appears, where people can go back and retrieve it. So it's even more critical that you say things that matter, say things that are accurate, say things that are kind, loving, caring, compassionate, uh, or the otherwise, but they're going to be carried with you people can pull them up and know exactly what you said 10 15 20 years ago well enough on that hey, if you're in the nashville area want to come join us next wednesday night uh, the uh, podcast meetup is at the entrepreneur center we've got a beautiful entrepreneur center here in nashville right down overlooking the city up on a hill but uh, check it out it's on peabody street love to meet you there here's a question from alex Dan, what would you do in my shoes? I recently started a new position with a large multinational company. It's a contract to permanent role. The position was to be converted to permanent status after three months. It's been six months now and I'm still here as a contractor. I'm 34 years old, father of two. I work with, in, with information systems at I did it. An analyst doing work that I love, the current position pays well in the mid-'80s. There's very little risk of my contract terminating anytime soon. What m- worries me the most is not having good health insurance benefits because I'm a contractor. Would you start looking for a permanent opportunity elsewhere or sit around waiting for the con- ver- conversion to happen eventually? Well, I would not go looking for a job because of health insurance. Health insurance is a side benefit. That can change, that can go away in a heartbeat. I wouldn't look first for the work that you really enjoy, and it sounds here, Alex, like you have work that you really do enjoy. It's a good fit for you. You're making it in the mid 80s. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, I would stay there if it fits you and look at reasonable ways to take care of your own health insurance. Now, I know it's a mess out there. No doubt about it. You know, a lot of things are changing. There's a lot of bickering going on and all that, but there are really good programs that are emerging. Lots of them. Uh, There's going to be some new ones that I'll be able to tell you about in the next couple months even. But in the meantime, the best plans for self-employed people, entrepreneurs, contractors, freelancers and all that for insurance are the sharing cost programs. Instead of just the traditional insurance companies, the sharing cost programs. So those would include, and I'll put some of these in the in the show notes today so you can just click on them. But um things like metashare.org, libertyhealthshare.org, samaritanministries.org Chministries.org. I mean, those are all sharing programs where it's a very reasonable monthly obligation because in essence, a big group has a really high deductible. So you may have a, they may have a $25,000 deductible. That insurance is still pretty reasonable to purchase. Then anything under that is shared by all the people who are members of that same organization. So if somebody has a heart attack, well, let's take something less. That's, that's likely to go over the 25000 But if somebody has an appendectomy and it's $8,000, well, that cost is then shared by people who are also members of that same organization. So I, I would encourage you to check those out. Keep the job that you have. Don't rock the boat with the job that you really love. Going to look for insurance as a benefit and having to find a new job in the process, now nah, I'd never recommend that. This comes from James who the, the title is no more back breaking body aching, please says, Hey Dan, my wife has been a nurse since the beginning of time over 20 years now. What can a nurse transition into? That's not as physically intense where she's lifting patients, surgery, trays and supplies, pushing, pulling beds, equipment. Uh, one more piece of information is that she's currently a traveling nurse and makes over double what she can as a nurse locally. Well, the, the things you can move into as a healthcare provider, what I'd encourage you to do is to back away from just the traditional application of nursing. Now here's an example. If I say teacher, the first thing that may come to mind is a public school teacher teaching in the sixth grade in a school here in Nashville. Well, you know, you may have 43 rowdy kids in there, non-supportive parents, non-supportive administrative oversight you know just it could be a really horrendous situation well you can be a teacher and live in acapulco and having your care for children of people who work for ibm i mean that you could just make up situation where you could still be a teacher, but in an environment that really makes sense or using your skills in another way. You can be a teacher and working with classical school programs or homeschool kids, you know, or do tutoring or provide training in corporations where you're working with um, normal uh, behaving adults rather than unruly kids. Well, the same is true in being a nurse. We ought to be able to make a list of 50 different things that you could do as a nurse. You know, I talk about my friend, Jim Hodges, who had a background in teaching, and he said he didn't want to be in the unruly classrooms anymore. He just loved history. And so now he reads, he creates audio recordings of history books and thus creating content for homeschoolers. Makes well over $100,000 a year by visiting five or six homeschooling conferences where he sells the programs that he's created using content that's in the public domain. Now, again, that's a creative application. And that's why I want you to look at being a nurse. Surely your wife has skills that... Allow her to have unique information in addition to be able to do just things with her hands, doing things physically. What is the information that she has that could be passed on? Where well, she could perhaps do training or seminars or workshops where she could, you know, go into hospitals and teach on a particular area. She could perhaps do a course that would help teach him. And Pat Flynn, we, we talk about Pat, you know, smart passive income friend of ours. He got fired as an architect. Well, the first thing he did was create a course teaching people how to prepare for the architect test exams that had to be taken, taken to get your certification. He did that and created more income than he'd ever made as an architect really quickly that's the kind of thing. How could you transfer information that you have into being your source of income rather than doing what you're doing? Now I could go on and on and on with the stories about this. A young lady came to me as a nurse who hated what she was doing. And I said, Jeez, how'd you end up doing this? You know, when you hate it? Well, she wanted to be an interior designer, but her parents said, nah, that's too you know, to uh, unstable, uh, be a nurse. That way you'll always have a job. Well, she always had a job and it was always a job that she hated. And at about 35 years old, she decided she was tired of living her parents' dream and she needed to do something on her own. She had a real amazing ability to create gift baskets. Well, she started doing that and very quickly was doing for corporations. There was a Taco Bell managers convention that came to town here and she created 4,300 baskets that were identical. And I told her, I said, her name was Sonia. I said, Tonya, your value is in teaching other gals how to be as successful as you are, how to get those big corporate contracts that is more value than you actually doing the work yourself, putting together these baskets one at a time. She moved into that arena, created some videos and very quickly exploded her success by teaching other people how to be successful in what she was once doing herself. Again, back to nursing. That's the approach to take. That's what I would suggest doing. I have a good friend here in town who's a chiropractor. Well, How do you make more money as a chiropractor? It's very physically intense and you make more money by getting another 30 people to come into your clinic this week. Well, he decided to take a different approach in that he started providing health information for people and saw that people responded to that online they put in a search for a particular health issue. If he provided information on that, he could lead them through great information and then into a $97 course to teach them about that. In the process, he also discovered that he could private label supplements, healthy nutritional supplements that would help people with different physical ailments. His income went from 1.5 million in 2014 to eleven million in 2015, to forty-eight million in 2016, and in 2017 he broke a hundred million dollars. Now you can probably check that out, the specifics on that if you want. But uh, he was a chiropractor. Well, you don't just lever—you don't get into that kind of income by just seeing more and more people. There's an obvious ceiling immediately to how many people you can see. But if you leverage the knowledge you have as a professional like that, it can open the door where there really are no limits. Hey, I hope that's helpful. What's going go on. Joel says, I, find, I love finding old furniture pieces and fixing them up and then using online apps like OfferUp and using the Facebook garage sale sites. The problem is that once I fix up that piece, it's a bear to find a buyer. They either ask a question never to be heard from again or don't show. I don't like eBay and I'm wondering if you have suggestions for selling the item. I've looked for consignment shops in my area, but there just aren't any. If I were to use the newspaper classified ads, I'm afraid it wouldn't be worth the cost to have it listed. Need your help. Thanks, Joel. Let's see. You're in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, I, I would say I've never experienced anything that is more the bomb than Craigslist. I mean, Craigslist is free can put it on there. Wow. If it doesn't sell, put it back on there again, change the description, put in pictures. I mean, I don't, there's nothing like that for what you're describing. Now, the other side of that, I mean, finding a buyer is a challenge for all of us. We're all selling something and we all have to learn how to find and serve customers or clients. Well, So that's an ongoing thing. There's not an easy way. And when you're making a financial transaction and when you have a piece of furniture, especially uh, old furniture piece, you may list it at $350 and somebody's going to actually show up and uh, take your time and then offer you $200. You know, well, you have to be comfortable with that process. Negotiating people will buy from you if they know, like, and trust you. You know, how do you get through that? How learn how to sell well. I mean, grab old classics like Zig Zig or Secrets of Closing the Sale. Even things like the Dale Carnegie uh, book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, just those basic personal skills will help you increase your selling effectiveness dramatically. But don't think there's a shortcut. Just recognize this is going to be an ongoing process. Now, if this is going to be something you're going to expand and you're going to have, you know, 15 pieces at a time. It'll probably make sense to have a little retail outlet somewhere where people can meet you there, and where you can have ongoing traffic, where people be driving by and come in. But uh, one-on-one, Craigslist. But without question, the way to go. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here: these are real-life questions. I love seeing the questions come in. I love. Wednesday mornings when I unpack that magical mailbox where they all come to, you can shoot yours in at at 48 dayscom you can shoot in a question, tidbit of good news, your own success story, those are all legitimate things. I love to include them in upcoming shows. Again, just send those to at 48 dayscom Now this comes in. And then, then the the heading is this: struggling to survive when I know I should be thriving. I'll um, this gentleman's been in prominent positions, so let's call him Tom. Good morning, Dan. I'm feeling really stuck. I was a successful managing director, recruiting and developing successful financial advisors. Had my own practice as a financial advisor for ten years making great income. Then I felt called to vocational ministry. I left that career and uprooted my family to obtain a master's degree at seminary in Dallas. Became one of the many pastors in a large church overseeing small groups as I finished my degree. Loved aspects of my ministry role, particularly pastoral care, coaching, counseling, but not so much preaching. Also, I love missions work. After seminary degree, I left the pastoral, became a local missionary that focused on reaching harder to reach people groups in Dallas. I had to raise support. Now what that means, and this is a really a common theme for A lot of listeners, you know, raising support is if you're going to be with youth with a mission, or you're going to go on a short term or a long term or a permanent position to Africa somewhere, or you're going to uh, help people get clean drinking water, people raise support. That means to go to people who do know, like, and trust you and ask them to give you monthly support. That is excruciating for anybody. That is tough to do. Really tough to do. I don't know of anybody who enjoys that. I don't know of anybody who uh, does it with ease and it's an ongoing challenge. Uh, Anyway, uh, Tom says here after a year and a half of raising support, I realized it's not the best model for me long-term, even though I do enjoy the work of missions. I now have three months of salary raised and will be leaving that organization. I started doing life coaching about five months ago to bridge the gap in support raising. I see that it has the potential to be a tremendous, tremendous platform, not only to impact people through coaching, but also serve as a vehicle to fund ministry efforts. I like aspects of coaching for sure, but the average client stays only one and a half months. So I'm really questioning whether I'm good at it. Now, Tom goes on here with some lengthy things about this that he would like to do. Let me see. There's one thing here that I wanted to pull out of his lengthy sharing he's got three kids oldest heading off to college next year he's got feeling the financial pressure not sure where or how i fit in this world i'm starting to lose hope that i will find the right fit i recognize that i value financial security i'm concerned that i can't make coaching work well having a hard time narrowing down to a niche and feel a bit overwhelmed with how to design my practice and make it work. I also like having both the ability to work with a team around a common purpose and have time to work individually. I'm passionate about people knowing their, their created value and identity. But he goes on, just not sure where he's gonna fit. He says, the irony here's the sentence I wanted to find. The irony is that I feel like I'm the person I would like to help. I feel overwhelmed with what to do and how to do it and I feel like I'm running out of time. On top of all this, I don't feel like myself. I feel depressed, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, doubting, lacking confidence, uncertain about how to deploy my skills and gifts. It doesn't help that I feel financially restricted. Okay, let's just kind of stop there and talk about this a little bit. You've tried a lot of things, Tom. Struggling to survive when you know you should be thriving. All right. You've tried a lot of things, worthy things, godly things. No, but you've worked with financial advisors, had your own practice as a financial advisor for 10 years, making great income. Then you went into vocational ministry, went back to seminary, have had church positions that didn't end particularly well. Did some things where you raised your own support for ministry kind of things. And now you're thinking about coaching golly, I think you can take all of those things, all of those things that you are drawn to and blend them together. Sure. I think you can position yourself in coaching. Now, what's your website? And obviously you've already done that pretty well to position yourself as such, even if you don't have the confidence that you can do it well. I mean, do I believe in coaching? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a coach because I'm too impatient to be a counselor. My background is in clinical psychology. Both my bachelor and my master's degrees are in clinical psychology. Um, My doctorate then is in religion and society. My studies were in that area. But um, I'm trained as a counselor, but I don't want to do that because I'm way too impatient in terms of, time that elapses when you're working with somebody you say you know you're discouraged because the average coaching client only stays a month and a half you're right that's 48 days that's exactly what i expect i expect working with coaching clients to have them work through and make dramatic changes transformational changes in their lives and move into higher levels of success with my blessing adios amigo i mean that that's the perfect scenario. It would be unrealistic to expect a coaching client to stick with you for a year or two years. I mean, if they do, you have to question, are you really being effective as a coach being a coach? You ought to be able to move them through challenging areas of their life where they can then self manage and go on from there. Now, do I believe that there is the financial potential? I believe there's a financial potential to surpass anything you've ever done in your life as a coach. Now, when you hear me talk about coaching, it's not just one-on-one getting one more person in. as I talked about the chiropractor just a minute ago, he didn't just see his financial future and being getting one more person in today or two more this week. No, he leveraged his knowledge in ways that went way beyond that. Now, what are some of the things that I do as a coach? I mean, I don't do much one-on-one coaching. I still work with one or two people a month because I, I still love it. I still want to be engaged in that way, hear the real life stories. But I connect with people in a lot of other ways. But the things where I get a big financial shovel, as our buddy Dave Ramsey would say, is, are not in seeing people one-on-one, but creating systems. You hear me talk about our coaching mastery program. Matter of fact, you know, I'd love to talk to you, Tom, about our coaching mastery program, but in there people come through. It's about a six month program. We include you in our Tuesday calls. There's a lot of group things that go on where we can learn together. We have you document 48 hours of paid coaching and I help overview that. Um, But we move you through that process Now that doesn't require a whole lot of time from me because my daughter Ashley oversees that and the people who are in there help each other in dramatic ways. But in doing that, I mean, the program is $4,800 and our goal and we're right on track will bring in 40 people this year. So you can do the math on that. I mean, that would be what any coach would consider reasonable income to just have 40 people in a $4,800 program like that. Now, there are other things that I do as well. There's my personal coaching. I've got a couple options on that. And then also I have my personal mastermind, my personal mastermind. May we limit that to 40 people, but those people pay $500 a month. And you can do the math on that. That's something that doesn't require a great deal of my time, but it, it's something that I really care about. It's a very focused investment of my emotional energy and uh, so there's that and then also you've heard me talk about the 40 days eagles community well the 40 days eagles community i mean it's a umbrella that I created where people can come together, people who are not content with mediocrity, people who have ideas, dreams they want to put legs on, 40dayseagles.com. You can check it out. Right now, we've got about 700 people in there. Those people pay $36 a month. Now, my very open goal, I mean, everybody in my team knows, we're going to grow that as quickly as we can to 2,500 people. Well, 2,500 people, now, again, I, I'm pretty transparent about these things, but I mean, you can figure this out without you know, being a rocket scientist on your own. So it, it's I, And I don't talk about my finances. I don't post my financial income. I've never done that, never will. But if you're looking in from the outside and you see an organization that has 2,500 people who are paying $36 a month, you can do the math on that. That's basically a million dollars a year. So as a coach, I've found other ways to leverage my coaching desire, my coach training, my coaching abilities. Absolutely. So can you do that? Can you do everything that you're talking about here? Absolutely. You can. Hey, be delighted to talk to you more. We need to connect personally. I'll shoot you a note and we'll do a little follow-up on that. Now here's another question. And this one You know, I'll I'll go on this one as until I run out of steam (laughs) and then I'll stop. This is a very, very lengthy question. So I'm not, I'm going to just give you the, the, the highlights here. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll not share the gentleman's name. We'll, we'll just call him Jim. So Jim says, Dan, I'm 27 years old. I've been working for 10 years. I graduated college with two undergraduate degrees, neither of which I'm using, nor do I seem to be using any of the skills I acquired in college. I have no idea what I'm called to do in life. I studied music while I was in college, then got cold feet halfway through my music degree and changed majors to history. I also cut back severely on my performing and private teaching during that time. I decided on history because it was what I always enjoyed reading about as a child and teenager. My library at home was full of history books. However, when I became a history major, I hated the work I had to do. I was reading books and articles I didn't enjoy. I was writing papers and doing research on things I didn't really care about and procrastinated mightily because I didn't care about what I was doing. I was so close to finishing my music degree as well that I decided to take the few classes I needed and graduated with a master, bachelor's degree music and history. Then he continues. So Jim continues, I've read you approximately one-tenth of what he wrote. So he goes through, I don't know what my skills and passions are. Everyone, teachers, coworkers, family, and friends have always told me I'm an excellent writer, that I speak and present extremely well, and that I'm excellent with people and a great teacher, but I hate customer service. I don't know what I would write about. I despised having to write while I was in college. I don't know how to make money with those other talents. If I were to be a teacher here in Mississippi, I would actually be taking a severe pay cut if I went into any of the school systems. Um, I've taken personality test after personality test. All they do is overwhelm me with ideas and possibilities. I took the DISC profile. I don't know if I would enjoy... Any of the things that it suggests, I'm 27 if I were to go back to school now to try to pursue something advanced like medical school or law school, how would I afford to do that? I'm married. How could I do that with a family that needs my income? We're already $90,000 in debt and moving through Dave Ramsey's Baby steps to pay all that off. But with our household income of $50,000, it's just not happening quickly. It goes on. I know this is a lot, but this is the first time I'll just do a wrap up The first time that I think I really sat down, tried to express all this frustration and all these worries out loud. I've never had a job I enjoyed for very long. I hate selling things to people. There were parts of my musical career I didn't like to. Now I know I I don't even have music in my life. I own no musical instruments. I haven't played or practiced music since I was 25. I don't know what I'm passionate about or what I'm great at anymore. What do I do with my life when I have absolutely no clear direction where to go or what to pursue? wow exhaust me just reading through just snippets of jim's letter this is complicated this is not something that i can adequately address in a a three-minute response on a podcast i mean obviously we'll reach out to jim and offer more in-depth work but at the same time frankly i'm a little gun shy because he's tried so many things, talked himself out of so many things and have reasons why so many things won't work. That's a tough starting point. It's a really tough starting point. Now, one of the things that I have as a, a dramatic advantage is that when I have a situation like this, I can simply share it with our coaching mastery participants Now, these are people where we have confidentiality. And of course, I don't need to share name or details in there anyway, but I can share the circumstances and get input from other experienced coaches. So I did that yesterday with this particular situation, got immediate response from a bunch of our coaches. I'll give you just a little bit of their input. Now, when it comes to coaching, sometimes the input that you get, sometimes the coaching that you receive, uh, isn't just a nice warm, fuzzy or a pat on the back that, Hey, you know, you're doing fine. We'll work this out. Coaching tends to be more directive and can feel confrontational. So Armando responds, wow, he has a lot of opportunity. Only needs to get clear on selling. If he could only understand how he could help people with his gifts, he might see selling as a key rather than an obstacle. Golly, I love that. See selling as a key to your success rather than as an obstacle. You know, when we hear from people who say, I hate selling, you know, always have, always. You're going to go nowhere in life. What you need to do is change your perspective on selling. We're all selling. If you're a mom trying to get your kid to eat the peas in his plate, you're selling. If you're a teacher trying to get the kids to learn in a classroom, you're selling. If you're a pastor in front of the people on Sunday morning, you're selling. I mean, that's not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. That's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to share something we believe in, to share our enthusiasm about something that has impacted us in a positive way. So Armando offered that. Clark said, I would start an extensive core values inventory And then attempt to help him determine what's blocking him from moving forward. Ashley says, I'd love to see more. I tried in this and less, but everything he lays out, he's stuck in analysis paralysis and has an excuse for everything. Wow. Talks about taking a step back, you know, certain thing. And she suggests specific things that he can do that use his affinity as in music, again, in music, I means you, you it's not either you play and you're on stage with Taylor Swift or you're doing nothing. No, there's about a million things you can do with an interest in music that are applications of that that could use your background, your training, your degrees and all of that. You know, there are things in music therapy, but there are lots of things you could do to embrace and include your affinity for music. Well, a couple others here, Scott. Well, let me go on. Um, yeah, Scott says, I think this will deal with all the purposelessness he's feeling. I'm getting a self-centeredness vibe based on the number of eyes he's used. Uh, Giovanna says, um, my first response, no one wants to read an email that long. The ability to crush his excuses won't come when he's alone. He's proven that he needs to take a step in the right direction, and carry through the right coach can help. He's got to change his mindset, uh, mixed with his, uh, your desire and belief that result, new results can come. Um, Paul says, wow, for somebody who doesn't like writing, that's a novel. I'd say music and some kind of writing seem to be his natural calling. Harold says, seems to be a pretty self-centered guy. My first approach would be to help him put someone other than himself at the center of the universe and ask him what he sees when focused on others rather than himself. Boom. Okay. All right. Well, Hey, we're gonna gonna wrap things up there. My gosh, we got a whole lot of good input for this young gentleman. You know, when Carl Menninger was once asked about mental health, he was given a presentation. Someone lobbed him a softball question, should have been, said, what would you advise a person to do if they feel a nervous breakdown coming on? Well, Carl Menninger, he's a famous psychiatrist as a Menninger clinic in Topeka, Kansas. You would expect him to say, if you feel a nervous breakdown coming on, see a psychiatrist. Well, he kind of caught everyone off guard with his response. His answer was, lock up your house, go across the railway tracks, find someone in need, and then do something to help that person. Hey, that's my call to action today. Feeling down, feeling discouraged? Here's my suggestion. Find someone in need, and then do something to help that person. Hey, thanks for being part of this. Audience makes it fun for all of us, invigorating for all of us, enriching for all of us to share ideas and resources so freely where we can grow together, share our hurts and fears and frustrations and suffering. We can share those, but with the confidence that we can move through the better days ahead. And we're now approaching the middle of the year already. 2018 is slipping by. Hi, I hope you're optimistic about what the rest of the year brings. Am I on track with everything that I set out as goals for this year? Heavens, no. My goodness. But I've made a lot of traction on some that I'm really excited about. I can't wait to see what the rest of the year brings. But I know that whatever you're doing, you too believe that you can find or create work that is fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.